Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I hope to entertain you, educate you, just generally let's spend an hour together and talk about business. So here we are in the second month, I would say, of what they call lockdown. I do have a client who was at the meeting a week or two ago for the downtown business restaurant group. I'm not sure if it was the downtown business association or just a group of restaurant owners. I'm not sure. And I think they're planning on reopening May 15, which is real soon on a Friday. I'm not sure what the latest is on that, but hopefully that's what they're planning on doing. And business in Chico. I noticed that the traffic is almost like, well, I mean, it's not like a school day would be at this time of day, but I do notice that traffic is definitely picking up versus a month ago. I think people are getting more out and about. When I go to the store, I try to do an informal survey in my head of how many percent, what the percentage is of people wearing masks and people not wearing masks. And honestly, I think it's been about 50-50 lately. I am planning a trip to Costco in the next couple of days, and I've heard that you are mandatorial, mandatory to wear a mask there when you shop, so I'll have, my, I'll have my mask available for that. Has anybody been to the hospital? I honestly wouldn't go right now, even if I was sick, just because of what I see them trying to they're trying to test everyone and label everyone. And I would be curious to know whether the hospitals are crowded like they should be, but I don't think they are. So I'll just have to, I'll have to do a little reporting on that. I didn't bother driving down to Enloe today just to see, but I have a feeling they're not very crowded because number one, they canceled all the, they call them elective surgery, but some of them don't seem that elective to me, but, It's sort of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I won't, I'm not a doctor, so I won't comment on that, but I have a feeling Enloe is very slow. I've seen some reports of nurses who've been laid off because without anything going on, the hospitals are pretty much empty. But I'll let the medical community figure that part out. So as far as One of the things that's been happening for the last month or so is this stimulus payment. Clients are constantly calling me because I do a lot of income taxes. They're always calling me with some sort of question, and every day I get a new angle on the stimulus questions, and today was one that I hadn't had before. I didn't know this. Last year, one of my clients was an elderly woman And she passed away in the fall of 2019. And we did her final tax return. And she didn't have high income. Her daughter called me today and said, I received a direct deposit into her bank made out to her name deceased with my name as the care of. What do I do? And my first thought, since I had never looked this up, I thought, well, Obviously, the IRS and the 
government knows that the person's deceased because it was titled deceased on the letter that got sent with it. At first, I just assumed that that's legit because that person was alive in 2018, 2019, and they didn't have high income, so they were entitled to a stimulus. Then I thought about the fact that the stimulus is designed to perk up the current economy, and if you send it to someone who's deceased, that wouldn't really make sense. After I hung up with that client who had notified me of that, I said, I think you can cash. I mean, it's already in their bank. It's not a matter of choosing to cash a check or not. I looked it up, and lo and behold, I didn't know this, but on May 6th, the Treasury or the IRS had announced that if you're deceased and you get one of these, send it right back. That's just something new to me I didn't know. The rule is if you're deceased and you get a stimulus check, you need to send it back to the IRS. If it's been direct deposited like it was in this case, then someone needs to write a check to send it back. Kind of crazy, but that's the way it went. I honestly thought that maybe they would just let those go because the person, quote, earned it in the right time frame, but maybe not. What about someone who passed away in March of 2020, but filed a final return in 2019, and they were alive for part of 2020. I wonder how that, I guess that would go the same way. Sometimes you can't be that logical, but you know, usually the IRS stuff has a logical basis when you kind of dig deeper into it. But this one, I'm, I haven't quite figured that one out yet. I'm not sure what I think of that. But the rule is, yes, you have to send it back. Another stimulus issue that came up for me in the last week or two. I'm trying to read this email from a client to explain what happened. So this client submitted their direct deposit information. It worked with their older or their newer address that wasn't on their tax return. So they had been going in to see where their stimulus was based on the address on the tax return on 2018. And when they finally got able to punch in and get the info on the IRS website about the stimulus, they had used their new address, which was not on a tax return yet. So this is what the client wrote to me. In doing a search for what might be wrong, I read that the IRS somehow connects with USPS, which is the post office, to find what is the most recent address if you had put a forward in. The IRS learns of the new address. So anyway, that was just something that I was kind of a little bit perplexed by. I haven't really studied it. But if you're having trouble logging into the IRS, there's an IRS portal on irs.gov, and it's about checking on my stimulus or where's my stimulus, try, if you have an older, if you're typing in your old tax return address, but you have a new address and you're getting an error message, this email from this client of mine is telling me, go ahead and type in your current address and it might be in the IRS system based on this post office interrelationship. That's That's what I'm gathering out of that. What I'm trying to say is if you're looking for your stimulus check and you're having trouble and you're getting an error message every time you log in, try it using a different address 
like a more recent address, even though the IRS shouldn't know that, and maybe they already do. After all, this is uh, we did get uh, we did get through 1984, didn't we? Here's another interesting thing: if anybody is a dealing with a business business person who's getting a it's called a PPP loan, payroll protection plan loan. So a lot of people have received the money from the PPP loan, but now they have to grapple with, am I going to have to pay this back or not? One of the questions on this PPP loan was, is it tax-free? And technically the answer earlier on was that, yes, this is a tax-free advance. And if you spend it on the right things, it's not taxable. Well, here's the way they've clarified that whole issue of whether it's taxable or not. In the last week or two, they've come out and said it's technically not taxable income if you spend it correctly, but the payroll that you're spending it on to make it not repayable, in other words, to make it so you don't have to pay it back, that payroll expense is not a deduction. I don't want to get too convoluted on this, but what that really says is that it's taxable. In other words, if you have a business that gets a $30,000 PPP loan and properly spends that $30,000 on payroll and uh, part of it on mortgage payment or utilities and payroll taxes, and they do everything by the book, then yes, they don't have to pay the $30,000 back. But at the same time, they're not allowed to deduct the $30,000 of expenses that that loan paid for. It's a little bit convoluted. The bottom line is the thing ends up being a taxable event. The money ends up being taxable because they don't let you deduct the expenses that you're paying with it to make it qualify. Here's another quandrum these business owners are in that receive this PPP money. By the time they got this loan and by the time they even applied for this loan, their business had been shut down and their employees had all been laid off and the employees had gone to do unemployment. This money, when they get it, they have eight weeks or eight times seven is 56. They have 56 days to spend that money on the right thing, which is 75% payroll, 25% utilities and mortgage and rent. There's a problem there. If they pay payroll during this eight-week period to their employees that they had to let go because there's no business, those employees are now drawing unemployment. What complicates that, the unemployment has been supplemented by an extra federal $600 a week. I don't know for sure. I haven't actually looked at the numbers of the people receiving unemployment. Most people on unemployment right now, in my opinion, and I don't know the true answer to this, but I believe I'm right, most of those people are receiving more money now than they were when they were working. That's a disincentive for them to hope the business opens up and hires them again. It's also a big problem for the employers who have to spend this PPP money on payroll to not have to pay the money back 
But if they pay payroll to someone who's on unemployment, that person's going to get in trouble with the unemployment department, which is a state-run thing, even though it's kind of, you know, it's sort of affiliated with federal, especially with this bonus $600. It's a very mixed-up mess for all these PPP-receiving businesses. I've just been advising people spend it on payroll, spend a little bit of it on utilities and rent, and we'll get all the paperwork done later because that's what it was for. It just makes it a big mess when some of the people on payroll are actually receiving unemployment. And if they start getting regular payroll checks, that's going to mess up their eligibility for the unemployment, which at this time seems to be paying more than what they were actually making working, which is always a disincentive. I've always felt that when when food stamps and welfare become as much or more than a low-paying job, the incentive to work is pretty much gone. And that's just sort of in theory. I haven't studied that or done any surveys, but generally that seems to be that way. I put myself in the in the place of someone who's unemployed if I could get just as much money by not working as I would by working, hmm, what would I choose? That's a tough one. I'll leave that up to you to do your own uh, do your own answer on that. So the fact that you can't deduct the expenses that the PPP loan pays for sort of means to me that it is taxable. And that's sort of the way it goes. Now, it's still better to get taxable money than to never get it at all. It's still better to get that money and not be able to deduct it than to never have gotten it at all and deduct some expenses. I found another article that I wanted to share, and it has to do with the, and this was a week or two ago, so this is getting a little bit better. It's about a week ago. The first round of this PPP got a lot of criticism because a lot of large companies were able to qualify for this free money. And so some of them have sent it back. Some of them haven't. Uh, The funds are basically, they basically ran out. And uh, it's just kind of a mess. But in the next, uh, in the later portion of the show today, we are going to talk about the deficit and all this extra money that's being spent. I'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Nobody's perfect. In fact, mankind is inherently flawed. And no matter how much time we spend at church, our sinful nature wins every time. Tuesday, Chuck Swindoll describes the devastating impact of sin and sin's only cure. Listen Tuesday when Chuck describes God's light and our blight on Insight for Living. Have you ever struggled with your faith? Hard times, tests, trials, uncertainties seem to press you down? So much so that you wonder, where is God? What is He up to? Is He up to anything? I'm Gary Wilkerson with World Challenge. Here's some really good news for you today. Even when our faith is shaking, the Bible says that God remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. He is at work on your behalf, not just because He loves you, 
but he is faithfully at work at all times because that is his nature. That's who he is. That's who God is. He can't deny being who he is. He can't be other than the glorious, great, magnificent, wonderful, faithful God that causes our hearts to worship. I'm Gary Wilkerson. If you'd like to receive a monthly word of encouragement, reach out to us at pray.worldchallenge.org. That's pray.worldchallenge.org. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I have a special guest in the studio today, so I'm sure that's going to make it very entertaining. I did want to just give a little bit of an update on the PPP that I was talking about before. The latest incarnation of the PPP loans, if you guys are interested in that, you now have 24 weeks to spend the PPP loan amount, and then you won't have to pay it back instead of eight weeks. So they upgraded that uh, last week. Uh, it was signed by both houses and the president signed it. So we now have 24 weeks to spend the PPP money. And if that's an issue for you, you're in a lot better shape than you were having to spend it in eight weeks, which was really weird the way they did that at the start. I hope everybody's doing well. Tax season is now uh, still going till July 15. So we're still in the middle of tax season, but Looks like things have been opening up a little bit in Chico, so the virus thing is starting to be a little bit behind us. We didn't have any bad problems to speak of as far as protests. We had, I know there was some protests downtown, but I don't think anything got really bad in Chico that I saw. So anyway, uh, hope we have a good rest of 2020. And for today on Business Buzz, I've brought in a returning guest, He's always good for a lot of commentary and even some opinions, whether you like them or not. It's my old attorney buddy, Scott Hubbard. How you doing, Scott? Can't complain, Harold. God bless right. you live longer. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about the business, the legal business, and the what's happening with the courts and the legal system during this crazy period of 2020. Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but some cases are going on, but weirdly... You know, it's just, you know, I've just, I was sitting here thinking of all the things that's happened since the last time you and I have sat down and, and spoke. I mean, think about it. That was like six months ago. It was, it was practically a lifetime ago. We're living, we're living dog years now where one day seems like seven. It's I mean, a whole nother world since then. I mean, we had a, a, you know, first there was the, first there was the impeachment, then there was the, the virus, then there was the economic collapse. Now we have Black Lives Matter. And or the the uh, Floyd, right? The George killing, Floyd, George Floyd issue, killing, right? Let's call it and and it's just holy smokes. And the courts, they're not they're not immune to this because you have crusty old judges, judges who are like late seventies, early eighties, now Zoom, learning Zoom. I mean, we, you know, my kindergartner has to teach me while well, she's in. Fifth grade. Oh my God, I'm old. Uh, she had to teach me how to use Zoom. So you know, now you have judges learning it. So now instead of having a, a 
a court appearance where you you dress up in a suit and a tie and you show up to court. You you grab a jacket and a white polo shirt and you put and a tie on. And keep on. your pajama bottoms on. Pretty much, yeah. You show <laughs> up. You realize how little it takes to to dress up for one of these things. I mean, I know it's an old cliche where people show up to Zoom meetings not wearing any pants. I've shown up to Zoom ma- meetings not wearing any pants. <laughs> I mean, granted, they were shorts and they were in my office because, you know, this whole hostile work environment thing. But, uh, yeah, and you just sit there and you think to myself, please don't ask me to rise. You know? <laughs> when the ju- all rise, I mean, I don't even know how you're going to do that one. But. Now, are there, are there actual real trials happening? Or are these just hearings and stuff? See, that I don't know. I haven't had any real trials in the last two months or even pretend ones. But I've had a lot of court appearances and a lot of mediations and a lot of, of scheduling conferences and hearings. And it's, it's definitely a work in progress, but I think the one good thing to come out of this pandemic, if you could call it a good thing to come out of this pandemic, is number one, I think the American Bar Association is finally going to relax its grip on uh, online law schools. Because you can't say that we're not going to allow online law schools unless there's a pandemic. Because I think one of the things that this, that this, uh, that this virus has has brought to the forefront is how easy it is to shift our economy away from, uh, to a more virtual world, away right. from the big cities. Because let's, Facebook, what? Facebook said that half of their jobs now are going to be home based. Home based. Right. Those people don't have to live in the big cities. They don't have to pay uh, uh, an insane amount in rent or or buy a, an apartment that costs $3 million and you get one bedroom, a one-bedroom studio. Right. You know, now all of a sudden you can either live in the city or you can buy an a eight-room mansion off the Sacramento River in uh, Red Bluff and do your job there. I mean, if it's a choice between the two, maybe San Francisco has better food. But, you know. Well, for, that, for that matter, you could go to Iowa and buy a little house for 90000 and a little house on the prairie, yeah. you know, live your dream. And so that was the first thing. And the second thing is, um, I think a lot of the changes that we're seeing, well, no, I guess I combined the two because the first was the ABA law school moving online. And the second is everyone migrating. It's going to be a big shakeup. I think Chico and a lot of the more rural communities are going to have a, uh, uh, more housing, uh, as people from from San Jose, San Francisco, these uh, hubs of Silicon Valley suddenly realize they don't have to be there to do their job. They can right. do their job anywhere. Right. Now we have Zoom meetings. Now we have courts doing uh, Zoom mediations or Zoom uh, motions. So have they, have they actually? Do you know if they've actually done trials without being live? That wouldn't even be legal, probably, would it? <sighs> Boy. Couldn't you have like defendants coming in and saying, "Hey, if I had had a real trial," you know? that that does raise an interesting question. Uh, you do have the right to confront your witnesses, and you can't do that over a, a Zoom session. I mean, how does a how's a defense lawyer supposed to intimidate or cross-examine a witness, or impress the jury, or impress the jury if they um, if they can't walk up and down and use their hands and all that? But I don't see the problem going away anytime soon is the other thing. Because when you look at it, they're still a year away, minimum, away from a, a test. And six months after that to manufacture. And that's assuming, I mean, not test, excuse me, a vaccine. 
six months away to manufacture, then who gets it? I mean, this, this bug is going to be around for a long time, and there's no way the Constitution would allow anyone to have, you know, when they said speedy trial, it doesn't say speedy trial unless there's a pandemic. Right. Now, the other thing is, even if the virus thing goes away, say, next year, look at all the places that have realized, like you say, they don't need to be live, like university teaching without labs, things like that. <clears throat> They might just decide to say, you know what? We can do it without all these buildings. Let's do it. I don't know. Well, yes and no, because when you think about it, a lot of the schools, uh, having an in-person education has served as a gatekeeper for a lot of these schools to prevent a flood of this particular occupation in the job market. Now, let me give you an example. Business schools realized that they could offer online education because, you know, it's business school. Who cares? And so next thing you know, you have a flood of online business schools uh, catering to a specific type of person, someone who doesn't have the luxury of taking two years off to go to go to a school in the middle of, let's say, New York or Indiana or Nebraska or Los Angeles, drop everything, leave their family, leave their wife, leave their kids, leave their job, leave their mortgage, go off to study for two years on the hopes that they might have a better job on the outside. So business schools started offering online MBAs, and they're good MBAs. Um, and then when those, then they started to diversify. They said, okay, MBA works so well, we're going to do uh, finance degrees. We're going to do information system technologies degrees. We're going to do data analysis degrees. I mean, all of these little subgroups came up and, and schools have been very adept at marketing themselves for these online degrees. And so now sitting in my, sitting in my living room in uh, Chico, California, I could take uh, an accounting class from ASU and get a, an MBA. I could get a uh, master's in finance from Indiana University. I think uh, Pennsylvania Wharton is now offering online degrees. I mean, top notch, big name schools are offering online degrees. And I've been waiting for other degrees to make that transition. For example, you can't do it with doctors because obviously the last thing you want is a surgeon who learned his craft online. But, um, you know, lawyering. Lawyering's not that hard. I mean, you read the book, you read the case, you discuss it with your classmates. It's, it's not that difficult. Well, after the break, we're going to come back and I've got some other topics to discuss with Scott. Thanks for tuning in. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA, for Business Buzz. Stay tuned. We got a whole Christian world that thinks the church has replaced Israel. Sorry, folks. Instead, we ought to be praising God every time we fellowship that he has never given up on the Jews. He showed mercy to the Jews. By the way, that means he can be merciful to you. David Hawking has more about God's wonderful love for Israel and Gentiles alike. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. For over two months, states have been on lockdown to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Consequently, churches have been prohibited from holding worship services. Church leaders have reached out to Pacific Justice Institute with questions about how to safely and legally reopen. 
Well, PGI has prepared a checklist for church leaders to look over before reopening for outdoor or indoor services. The checklist highlights public health recommendations to minimize health and legal risks. Visit pji.org to download our resource, Legal and Safety Checklist to Reopen Church. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, having a conversation about, well, about a lot of things. We're also going to talk some local business because the Hubbard family has got a lot of business things going. I wanted to find out what else is going on in the life of the Hubbard empire. Jeez. Uh, well, my son or my daughter graduated from eighth grade. Does that count? Sure. I was going to bring her down and talk about K-pop. Next time. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Because What's K-pop? You know what? I don't want to ruin the surprise. Okay, we'll save it. <laughs> um, boy, no. I went down to downtown and caught a couple of those um, uh, protests. Yeah, I saw, I saw them. I drove by. Over George Floyd. I actually hung out there. And I, I have to say, I didn't participate, but I did show up. It's uh, crazy to sound from our past conversations, you know, I had a lot of, um, a lot of homeless people that I, I, that you help that I help. Right. And so in the process of helping them, I showed up and there was one of these, uh, there was a protest going and I have to say, um, I was very impressed. Not, uh, not only with the message, um, although some of them I thought were a little bit, uh, um, uh, radical, for my taste, you know, 50-year-old 50, 50 white guy taste, you know, defund the police. I mean, that's a, that's a, yeah, okay, great. If you, <laughs> if you want to, uh, and for the record, if you want to say, hey, let's, exp let's narrow the police force scope so they're just solving crimes instead of trying to maintain social order and dealing with people with uh, chronic homelessness or drug addiction or mental illness, you know, that's, that's great. So let's create a, let's. Here you have a funding program that funds the police to solve crimes, that funds this agency to handle the homelessness, to fund this agency, you know, and split split this fixed amount among among different agencies to address specific social ills. That makes sense to me. But when you hold up a sign that says defund the police <laughs> or disband the police, right? You know, I'm sorry. I'm I'm your target audience, me and, and suburban women. College-educated women, and that that message isn't going to radiate with any of them. Now, since you're familiar, you're pretty familiar with the homeless population in Chico because you help quite a few of them on a daily basis. Did you see a big overlap at the City Plaza protest? I mean, did you notice that? Two funny things. Yes, I did. 
the first funny thing is because they didn't have any place to go. So and they, they might have been there already. So or... they were there already, and you could spot the homeless because they weren't. They were the ones not looking at the stage, and it wasn't a lot. It was probably maybe one twentieth of the oh, group. It, so not much at all. It was not a lot at all. It was such an impressive group, and and I was so impressed with the uh, with the organization, the peacefulness. I mean, if you saw all of the businesses that that were boarded up expecting this to go south and get real ugly real fast. And it never did. It was, it was one of those things where uh, everyone had their mind on a specific goal, on a specific message, and they realized that if things turned ugly, it would take away from that message. And well, that to me is the problem. It just seems like there's peaceful protesters and then some rabble-rousers come in and ruin it in a lot of these cities. But maybe Chico just doesn't have that... Do you think the Peace and Justice Center helped with that rally? I don't. I'm sure they did just because the Peace and Justice Center does a lot of good work, and if they had something to participate, if they could Yeah, because they're down it, there a lot anyway. I could have seen. If, if you had said that was the Peace and Justice Center involved, I'd absolutely believe you. Right. But the, um, the other thing I noticed, in addition to the, um, the homeless population, is they had one critique of the protest, one, and they said it was too long. They said it's it's been down here for four hours. Right, they keep chanting enough. the same thing over and over again. Right. Please just right. I can't get go your away. message out and <laughs> let's go home. Or but look about it. they they canceled the city council meeting because of the threat of violence. They uh, shop owners, a lot of shop owners, understandably so, uh, boarded up their windows because they thought things were going to turn violent. Police was uh, the police officers were down there in force, uh, not not ming, uh, mingling with the crowds, or at least if they were not obviously so. But you know their vehicles were around, and it was really it, it, you know it's like an insurance policy. You're glad you have it when you need it, but they didn't need it that time. Wow, Did he, are those ongoing? Do you know? I don't think I, I'm, I'm not sure, up on it. I just I'm sure they are. I was down there. They were they were down there multiple times. Right, I saw it more than one day. Yeah. But I don't know what the the plan is because I don't run in those circles. Right. And I'll hand to God, I did not think that this protest was going to go anywhere because I hate to sound um, jaded or cynical, but you've seen this movie before. I've seen this movie before. It all ends the same way. Everyone complains, then there's a riot, and then you know. It's the message shifts and the people responsible, the jury finds the people responsible, the acquitted, and, you know, it happens again, and there's another uproar. I you mean, the like the police that get... Like the police. You right. Know, they, Rodney, they never seem to get Rodney King. Rodney King is right. a perfect example. You right. have a video of someone getting the, um, the, poop, Our, the poop kicked out of him. Right. Um, the first line that comes out is, uh, well, you didn't see what happened before they started recording. The second line that comes out is, look at all the crimes and the drugs that this person has done before. Like, uh, like know, that justifies That justifies it. getting yeah. the tar kicked out of you. Right. Uh, there's always a uh, protest. Officers are always arrested out of, out of um, uh, political pressure. And then, well, maybe not always. Well, but, yeah, but yeah, they don't always want to arrest them. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's being of the prosecution and prosecution and law enforcement is like a married couple. 
Right. They are always joined hand in hand. It's, it'd be like me intentionally picking a fight with my wife publicly. Right. right. I mean, it's not, I, it's, I'm not going to do that. Right. And if I, under no circumstances am I ever going to win that fight because it's my wife. And if I did, she's never going to speak to me again. Right. So, you know, having the prosecutor charge the police, that always seems a little bit, um, yeah, sure, whatever in my mind. Right. And then the, the, uh, because it's such a high legal hurdle to find these cops guilty, uh, they always get released, or not always, at least 95% right. of them. Right. And then there's another massive riot. Riot. In comes the police, and here comes the, the media. Right. And then things die down, and it happens all over again. And sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's a couple of years, but it always, same story, time after time after time after time. And this time, it's different. It just is. And I can't put my finger on what made George Floyd, you know, I, what, what did it for me, what did it for me is, and I didn't see, I didn't see the George Floyd video. I mean, I, I saw snippets of it where he says, I can't breathe. Everyone who watches the news sees that. Uh, but I didn't watch the thing for the, uh, the video for the same reason. I don't watch any, you know, I don't like watching people die. Right. It's just not something that thrills me. Right. When they said that he was calling for his mother as he was, had the life being smothered out of him. Right. Man. I mean that that's <laughs> that did it for me. Yeah, I mean I, I get amazed that the policeman would let himself be filmed, but whatever. I know they have cams yeah. everywhere. Oh, well, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just gonna say whenever you're done, I'm through talking about George Floyd. Oh God, this. <laughs> well, what do you want to talk about, Harold? The collapse <laughs> of the economy, the COVID yeah, nineteen uh, that's killing everyone. The... How about how about the <laughs> fact that. Uh, well, that worries me, FYI, yeah. all these protests, because, you know, when when they were protesting to reopen the economy, I just thought to myself, this is so reckless because here you have a, a virus that uh, is killing more people than the flu, that's more contagious than the flu. And I know there's some armchair Facebook physicians out there saying, no, it's not. It is, guys. I'm sorry it, it is. And when they were protesting the reopening of the economy, I thought to myself, you know, my business is suffering too, but if this is what it takes to keep my father safe and other people's fathers safe, and, you know, people with pre-existing conditions, I'm okay to, to do that because it felt like, you know, I was making a sacrifice for the greater good. Right. And uh, when they started protesting the, the reopening of the economy, I thought to myself, you know, this is reckless, but I certainly understand where you're coming from. And the same thing with these protests. You know, I scared, it scares the bejesus out of me on what's going to happen with all these protesters side by side in close quarters protesting the police because they feel like their lives depend on it too. You know, they can, you know, they know the virus is out there, they know the dangers, but they also know the dangers of sitting back and letting this pass without doing anything. But there are some, there are some ironies that did come out of this. Uh, uh, my favorite one is, the governors, like in Massachusetts, who let out some child molesters out of jail so they wouldn't get sick, but some states were putting uh, bar, uh, uh, beauty shop owners out of in jail because they opened their store. I mean, that's oh. a little bit of a problem. 
Hawaii's the worst. You hear about what's going on? Well, in they're Hawaii? kind of a, you know, they're isolated anyway. So didn't they shut all the flights out? No, but they made it abundantly clear. I mean, if anyone's within earshot who hasn't heard the Hawaiian stories, these Hawaiian stories are flipping awesome. Like I haven't heard them. Oh, they're arresting people. Like at the airport, they say you get to the airport. They say, okay, here's your hotel. You go to your hotel. You check into your hotel. Now, bear in mind this. This is just what I've read. They give you a key. The key is good for one use, and it's to get into your room. And if you get locked out of your room, that means because your key stopped working, that means you broke your quarantine, and they call the cops. Are there still tourists flying to Hawaii? The Hawaiian governor said, stay away. We don't want you. And there was one guy who was uh, who went to Hawaii and was, like, doing all these you know, doing all these fun things. This is Hawaii and laughing about how he was breaking the breaking quarantine. And people are saying, Hey, you're breaking quarantine. And, and they, they popped him at the, at the airport leaving, you know, (laughs) he was posting on Facebook, all these, all the things he's doing instead of being under quarantine. And they arrested him $4,000 fine, uh, put in jail at the, at the airport. I mean, now Hawaii must really be having a bad economy because they live on tourism. You know, I I haven't been there, so I don't know. <laughs> well, after the break, we'll finish up today. And uh, thanks for listening to Business Buzz. We'll be right back with Attorney Scott Hubbard. See you then. Nobody's perfect. In fact, mankind is inherently flawed. And no matter how much time we spend at church, our sinful nature wins every time. Tuesday, Chuck Swindoll describes the devastating impact of sin and sin's only cure. Listen Tuesday when Chuck describes God's light and our blight on Insight for Living. God has abundantly blessed America. Our founding fathers knew and understood the laws of nature and of nature's God that prosper a people in harmony with them. Most assuredly, people that seek first God's ways of universal righteousness, spiritual prosperity, create the environment of peace, harmony, and blessing that naturally pave the way to material prosperity. America, bless God. America bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. America. Bless God. Yeah. We can keep talking when it, <laughs> when it starts up. You like that. Yeah. Well, we're back with Scott Hubbard, the attorney, businessman. Uh, always got something going. We're still waiting for the new Rock and Brews to open up. That's going to be a Hubbard Enterprises venture. I'm in charge of the miniature golf courses. All right, <laughs> mini golf and uh, 
You say you have a racetrack, but no cars in it yet. God, that is, yeah, I was, that kills me because I heard about what happened to Heart Attack Racing in Chico. And they were out at the fairgrounds, and they're not there anymore because of the campfire. Well, we're in Sacramento at Cal Expo, and we have like this little, this like racetrack, outs, an outdoor racetrack. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, boy, it'd be so great to, to invite those people out there. And I've tried to track them down and hand over God, I cannot find the owners of Heart Attack Racetrack or Racing to save my life. I mean, it just, it would have been perfect. But Are there any other go-kart places that might want to relocate down there? Oh, I don't know. You, you, you give patronage to your friends and they're local. So if right. I had to start with anyone, but uh, it's got batting cages and two miniature golf courses and we're going to have outdoor uh, rock concerts. Uh, Kiss is going to show up the first day, but uh, you know it's 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 a monster. It's a it's a battleship, and now with the um, the fairs being shut down, we're the um, Cal Expo's new favorite people because they can't they can't have horse track racing, they can't have the fair, they can't do a lot of the venues that they can that they would normally get income. But you from. guys are going to have it right across the street. But right? we're right on their corner, so right. they get a percentage of our income, and they are a st- Static. So they're going to be all behind everything there. Oh, yeah. And they've they've bent over. Talk about giving credit where credit's due. Cal Expo has just bent over backwards to work with us, especially, I don't know if any of your listeners has ever tried to negotiate with with the government agencies. But, boy, they're just in no particular mood to go particularly fast. Right. And so just, you know, I'm not their priority. It's, It's like the... Uh, well, I don't want to go too far into the weeds. No, no, let's not. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a, that's a good example. I have a client who's got a lot of property in the East Bay, but also in Ashland, Oregon. And that town is turning into a ghost town and their retail store, which they had to close is a perfect spot for the city that needs city offices. It's all modern. It's like 15,000 square feet. It's ready to go with everything they need. And, of course, my client is just hoping and praying he can work out a deal with the city to be the tenant because he's not going to get retail back to Ashland. And it's just the... Have you been to Ashland? uh, It's been a while. My son used to play a lot of tennis there. Yeah, don't be surprised. I love Ashland. Ashland. Have you been there lately? Oh, yeah. What's it it like? Oh, my goodness gracious me. Have they reopened? (laughs) I no, they haven't reopened. Ashland, Ashland live and lives and dies by the or- Oregon Shakespeare Festival. But that's not even going to be, and that's been canceled. So this is going to be a really tough year for Ashland. Right. But Ashland, once this passes, if your client survives, I mean, they're not going to be. It's not going to be that bad of a gig for them because people are going to be flooding back to that city once the. Um, the theater. virus thing, the, and the theater gets and back. The theater starts opening. Didn't they have a lot of fires near there, though? Also, oh, every once in a while, just like Chico. Uh, yeah. Hey, how about that PG&E settlement? Did you? Yeah. What about it? Apparently, they voted in favor of it, from what I've from what I've heard. So, so how are they divvying it up? I haven't read about it. Well, this is what I know, courtesy of Mike Bush, Attorney Mike Bush, who is representing Mike Bling. You know, give plugs where plugs are due. Right. Um, what they're going to do is. Uh, Come August, although no one thinks it's going to be August, come August, they're going to start submitting evidence of the claims to basically a retired judge, and the judge is going to consider the evidence and award 
can award uh, dollar amounts based on the evidence. And so, um, what makes my brother and my claim so entertaining is we had like a thousand acres we were sitting on outside of town, and so we didn't know it because for us it was just you know our our retirement home where we were planning to build our houses and retire. No, there's a lot of timber up there that we lost, and right. so. You know, now all of a sudden we have to start getting experts lined up and evidence lined up documenting what we lost from it. And and that's just us. Imagine what you're dealing if you're dealing with your house, your business, trying to secure uh, proof of lost income. How much money did you earn before the fire and try and argue that you deserve that much in the future, what your home values are worth minus the, what the insurance paid you. I mean, it's just... Uh, Aren't they going to need multiple judges? I mean, how? No oh, way could yeah. one guy do. Yeah, it's yeah. you're you're you know a city burned down. Right. Uh, almost a hundred people died. There's going to be a quite a few. Judges well, that, that's the thing. Life. Now, what about what about people who lost their home, but they got well monetarily compensated by the insurance? They are going to have to go more off the emotional side, right? Well, yes and no. And again, this is. Uh, this is secondhand coming from uh, from my attorney, which I suppose uh, kind of the whole attorney-client privilege. Well, thing. yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, but, you're you're not disclosing any secrets he's told you, uh, right? So, uh, from what I understand, first off, there's something called the collateral source rule that says, let's say you have a house that's worth a hundred thousand dollars and you get thirty thousand dollars from the insurance company for it, you can't sue PG and E. For the full value of that hundred thousand dollar home, you have to subtract the amount you got from uh, the insurance company. So, if you had a hundred thousand dollar home, you got thirty thousand dollars in insurance. You can only go after PG&E for seventy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there's going to be, uh, for lack of a better term, and this this is what I've I again what I've heard from the people and know. Uh, there's going to be basically a tiered system for. Uh, or emotional claims. Like so, people who died, people who had to run out of the fire and almost yep. died. Let's let's say that you you were down, you were in Chico when the fire swept through. You know, you may you may have seen a few claims, you know, okay, in that you get X amount. Um but let's say you had to drive through the flames and, and you thought you were gonna die and all that. And you got post traumatic stress uh, you know, and that's Y amount. If you're just then there's like the top category where you're just not right anymore. You're never going to feel safe anymore. This has messed you up. You can't work anymore. Then, you know, there's that's the, the top category. And you're going to have to uh, turn in, you know, pick one of those three. Or if you're not going to pick any of them, just say, hey, I want a trial on this one because one, two, and three doesn't adequately compensate me for what I went through. Then uh, there's that fourth, that fourth catch-all trial. But uh, you know, my my family, we we fled from the fire. We waited until the very last minute, and um, you know, we took a video of the of the flames. It was nighttime because we were in Lower Skyway, and the flames were coming up over the hill, and you could feel the the heat from the fire right come come at you. And and we were videotaping it just because no one's gonna believe, no one's gonna believe you when you say that you it it doesn't do adequately adequate justice right until you actually see it and uh, I didn't catch it at the time but there's a moment in that video when my my daughter my oldest daughter said 
can we go now? I don't want to die. Wow. And, you know, it, it, it's not being funny. It's here come the fire. We're going to die if we stay here. Right. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking to myself, what does that, you know, how do you, how do you put that into a category? Right. And my son, he, he still has nightmares about it. Mm. I mean, that's just, that's, that's just. That's bad. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about someone who had a house they paid 100000 for with 100000 worth of personal property, but farmers wrote them a check for 350 for the house and 250 for the interior property. What other than being what if they weren't at home and they did get that huge money already? Do they really have a claim? So, would it be so, for example, they the uh cost of goods was 200,000, but the yeah, I mean, but the, they got six hundred thousand yeah, dollars in the, insurance. The normal situation if you're just a house that burns in your neighborhood randomly, you have to rebuild to get that you know 600k of value out of your premium, out of your uh insurance policy but in this case the fire was so bad they just said we're cutting checks for the full amount you don't even have to list anything if the those fair- people actually made a profit on the sale of their home technically but the fire's an well, involuntary sale did they do because let's let's look at it this way let's say that the home cost them two hundred thousand. they got a six hundred thousand dollar check from farmers what's the fair market value of that home doesn't matter doesn't it though? their basis is 200 it it does matter for the purposes of... But it's still a zero. I mean, they've <laughs> still been compensated, likely, for the value of the house that burned. But is it the yeah, fair market... Yeah, I see what you're is saying. Is it the fair market value? Because let's say that they got a check for 600000 they had a 200000 Yeah, the basis is covered. No, no, yeah. But let's assume the house had a resale value of seven hundred fifty. Well, no, no. If, if that's true, you're right. But I'm saying... I've seen all these in my clients. So the house is it's a freaking profit. So the house was well wasn't compensated. Worth, wasn't worth as much as what they then you know what? They're not gonna be able to recover from the house. Right. They probably but they have not. other items to recover from. Maybe, maybe not. Right. You know, it's what just, about the thing called loss of loss of neighborhood? What's that one? That's nice I, to I, me. That's that's good lawyering is what that is. Because okay. <laughs> I was <laughs> That is, gosh, I wish I had I have a claim in there, too. I'm hoping to get like... Loss of 20, Buick. I'm, I've got a claim in, too. I'm hoping to get 20 bucks for the postage I've spent. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah, I, gotta, I have a $10 gift certificate from a local landscaping of Paradise that burned down. My brother came in, put it on my desk, and said, add that to our claim. I said, I am not going to add this to my claim. Now, that uh, sounds like a move your brother I would know. make. For those of you who yeah. don't know my brother, he is just... I mean, Scott's, got, Scott's a real lively guy. His brother's a little more business-like oh it, you know what i my brother it just for those of you you know the thousands of people out there who don't know my family there, <laughs> i'm not even sure there's that many because the been thousands here. who are lucky enough not to have met them all <laughs> we uh my brother handles the day-to-day operations of our business beautifully like if the if the bathroom isn't clean at one of our gas stations or at a restaurant he's the one who makes sure that it is he's the one you call if you find a dead body in the bathroom, I'm the one you call. I, he handles day-to-day operations. And you do I the handle, big. You do the big stuff. I handle extraordinary events. <laughs> now, who's doing the uh, who's doing the donating the food that doesn't get eaten from the hot dog machine? You know, I snuck. I hate to say that I snuck that past him. It. I had a. I was doing that for a year. That's what I mean. You kind of do it. I did that. Uh, Are you still doing it? Yeah, because you can't make money that way. 
if if you can make money at it, boy, my brother would be all over. Oh, right, right. If know, it was right, if it's if it's helping others and and just you know trying to. Now, I do I do have to get into a little bit of the Hubbard history. Isn't it true that your brother, or was it both of you, used to run uh, coin op machines and take the override everywhere? Did I tell you about that? So, well, no. When I visited your storage one day, I saw all the machines. Oh, you had to. Oh, you. I had to bring it up. Oh, that's that. You had to have been there with my brother. And yes, okay. Uh, now, this was like probably the 80s, right? Yeah. So, my brother and I, our first business was we would put those coin operated games Pac Man, Donkey Kong, Dragon Slayer, uh, Pong, Defender. Oh, dude, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one I liked. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> Ball in the Cup. That was a great game, yeah. too. We used to play that when I was a boy. No, so we had all these these fantastic video games, and we never sold them. And so we we kept them in our storage locker for literally decades. I mean, literally decades. There's probably an inch of dust on these things. And um, we went through, and uh, the, some guy was interested in buying games because apparently, gentlemen who are or you know people who grew up with him right. are now in their mind. rumpus room in right. their man cave. They yeah. think you know I loved playing Donkey Kong go, growing up. I loved playing Dig Dug. I loved playing Pac Man. I wish I had one of those games for my house. Well, you know, there's like this phenomenal cottage industry there of people buying these games, fixing up, and selling them. So there's a local gentleman who came in and, uh, you know, I didn't think about these games for, for decades. My brother didn't think about them. They're just sitting there gathering dust. He says, I buy old games. Uh, he comes in and he, we show him, like, we have these 50 games in a storage locker. And uh, his, his eyes get like saucers. And my brother's like, I smell money. <laughs> so... <laughs> This should have been on American Pickers. <laughs> and so he, uh, my brother started doing research. All right, we have games out there worth like five grand each. Yeah. <laughs> and we got 50 of them. And it's like, you know, not all of them are, are, are worth that much. Some of them right. are only worth like maybe 1,200. Oh, you poor baby. I know. And so we're looking at this thinking, holy cow. And so we start posting some of them on, online, you know, showing there's like Facebook clubs right. on it. We're going to save this. Oh, we're going to save some for next time. Me. Every single time. Everybody Good wants Lord. to hear more, and they'll get it at some point. <sighs> Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We'll see you next time. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL. Chico. And K283AR, Chico. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. There are indications that COVID-19 spread may have taken place during last week's protests in the nation's capital. A D.C. National Guard spokeswoman says members of the Guard have tested positive for COVID-19. Lieutenant Colonel Brooke Davis says the Guard will not release the exact total. U.S. officials say they don't believe it's a large number, at least so far. They're speaking on a condition of anonymity as they're not authorized to release the information publicly. Last week, an AP review found that demonstrations took place in every one of the 25 U.S. communities with the highest concentrations of new coronavirus cases, including Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles. 
George Manzani reporting. A Republican senator from the South is calling on white Americans to empathize with blacks who often find themselves profiled on the basis of race. Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee says white Americans should ask themselves. How would I feel if police in my hometown repeatedly stopped me for being a white man or a white woman in the wrong place? When Senator Tim Scott shared at a Senate Bible study that he'd been profiled numerous times, Alexander asked if he could share that story. He said, sure. It happened again just last month. Tim Scott of South Carolina is the Senate's only black Republican. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. Georgia voters immediately encountered hours-long lines and equipment malfunctions in the state's primary races today. Fulton County Commissioner Liz Houseman says she's been talking to Georgia voters who waited in those lines. The majority of folks I heard had applied for an absentee ballot and it was never processed. And I don't really have an answer for why that happened. It's very disappointing. Some Democrats are challenging Republican Senator David Perdue in the primary. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 300 points. The Nasdaq, however, rose by 29. More on these stories at townhall.com. It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining, and bloating again and again. No way. Maybe it's occasional constipation. Maybe it's not. You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Maybe it's not occasional constipation. Learn more at linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. You may be able to talk to a doctor online. Visit linzess.com, sponsored by Allergan and Ironwood. Efforts continue to find a palatable Middle East